This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So let's gather our thoughts and our hearts as we get together around the, the Word of God again tonight. Father, we thank you that you never change, and that we can always approach you in the name of our Redeemer. And Father, we pray that you would be amongst us and within us this evening. Guide us by your Holy Spirit and help us to see wonderful things. Yes, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. We're going to be looking at Acts 12. And as is traditional before we do, we go over the portion that we read last or two weeks ago, just to remind ourselves uh, and also to remember uh, the scene where we are. For those that weren't there, it just kind of helps as well. So Acts chapter 11 was what we had studied last week. And in that, good news travels fast. And Jerusalem had heard of Peter's activity in Caesarea. Acts chapter 10. So Peter is subsequently summoned to give an account of what had happened. And who are the leadership in Jerusalem now? The text doesn't say. Why is it not Peter? Even though he had not been in Jerusalem, he had been in Joppa. He has not been the leader since actually Acts chapter 5. It doesn't say how uh, that transition moved. It could have been that uh, in Acts chapter 5, everyone remember the event that happened in that chapter? That's where um, anyone who kept walking into Peter's tent died. So um, it sort of kind of, there could have been a, an issue there where uh, he was the only one in the room with Ananias and Sapphira. And so no one really, apart from Peter, knew how these people were coming out dead. Uh, so it could have been that they decided, you know what? It's probably best that you're not the boss, okay? We're not sure. Drews this chapter itself could have uh catalyze that as we see the party of the circumcision farming could have yes in reaction to peter's action in Caesarea. yeah so if it's not that one it could be this one where what uh, uh our brother you're saying is it's, it's quite true this circumcision party doesn't go away they, 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 they're there and they, yeah and they then put their own man in charge who we later know is who james so Jerusalem is incredulous that Peter has actually entered a Gentile home and eaten willingly with the Gentiles. Right? That's their big problem. That's actually what they say when they bring him to Jerusalem. Enforcers of the Roman occupation, no less. Not just your average little Gentile, but Roman soldiers. Commanders of Roman soldiers. Much of the Jewish halakha uh, had been created over time to stop intermarriage and assimilation among the Jewish and Gentile populations. And we find these rules also in the Torah. Now, something had changed, and this was a challenge to Jewish believers. Note, and we noted a few times now in our study, the whole community has the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit is not instructing directly that Gentiles need to be included into the community. Right? That teaching takes some sort of uh, miraculous form. Verses 4 to 17, this is where Peter uh, gives a rendition of what happened in Acts 10. Verse 14 adds some of Peter's commentary. As he quotes the angel conversation to Cornelius, however, it's not what the angel actually said. So 
photographer, we discover that he's giving his rendition, he's also bringing in a little bit of commentary and adding to the story, because he knows that they actually did get saved. So he says, the angel said, go find Peter so that you and your household get saved. That's not what the angel said. He just said, go find Peter. Okay, so he's adding a little bit, which we all do. Okay, once, once we know the end of the story, we sometimes take the end of the story and put it back into the narrative, right? which is not always, not a direct uh, news quote. Pete, yes. Peter notes that the Gentiles were given the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, just like Jews did in Acts chapter 2. Right? That's his big defense. They did the same as us. However, we have also noted that others have received the Holy Spirit and not spoken in tongues. And these examples were the Ethiopian and the Samaritans of Acts 8. Tongues then are signs proof for the Jewish believers that God had indeed accepted the Gentiles as clean. Following Peter's narrative, the opposition to Gentile inclusion goes quiet. It does not actually disappear, as we shall see in future chapters. Despite seeing miracles, even believers cannot follow God's instructions to allow Gentiles into the fellowship. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay? Despite the fact that we can see a miracle occur, we often then don't get on board with what God is doing. <clears throat> Repentance has been given to the Gentiles. The term, the blood of Jesus, is actually not used in Acts. Repentance will lead to forgiveness, which is a strong Second Temple period theological position. Right? We should have talked about that when, in Acts chapter 2, when the, when the Holy Spirit's falling, everybody says, what do we do? And Peter's big response is, repent for the forgiveness of sins. Get baptized, and you'll be given the gift of the Spirit. Then the scene switches to the church in Antioch, the third biggest city in the Roman Empire, the traditional home of Luke. Uh, a main center for Hellenistic Judaism, known for its commerce, culture, as well as immorality and temple prostitution. Following the persecutions, some by Saul, after the martyrdom of Stephen, the scattered Jewish believers share the gospel wherever they go. Some unnamed Hellenistic Jewish believers from Libya and Cyprus share the gospel with Gentiles. Perhaps God-fearers as well, These are the, the, the Gentiles who are attached to the synagogue, might be them. It doesn't say, it did, the text just says that they're sharing the gospel with, with uh, Gentiles. And this creates the first mixed congregation of the early church. Verse 21 attributes the success to the Lord, but doesn't indicate how. And this is something many of us do to this day. Like, for example, you know, we'll say, the Lord did this. And, or, or I did this, you know, with the Lord's help. We never actually say how he did it. We just, it's part of our dialogue, and Acts has it too. We then ask the question, why do you not hear of success in any other area? Why is it just in Antioch? Are they the only people having success out there? Again, and that comes down to the nature of the Bible, this is sacred history. But it's very limited sacred history. It doesn't tell you the whole history of the whole church. It only has a little bit of information uh, as it's telling us how the gospel gets uh, west, and there might be a reason for that. Jerusalem once again hears the news and sends Barnabas, who strengthens the community and grows the community. Barnabas has an epistle attributed to him, as well as the potential authorship of Hebrews, says Tertullian. Uh, Barnabas then seeks out Saul in Tarsus, where he had left him, and they both shepherd the Jewish Gentile community for one year under the authority of Jerusalem. 
Gentile mission is already underway before the involvement of Saul. Paul does not start Gentile mission. That honor is given to nameless brothers of Cyprus and Libya. Paul is gaining valuable experience in mixed communities, the challenges and the triumphs. Look at that. God trains his heroes. Prophets exist, and prophecy had obviously not died out. Offerings are collected in response to these prophecies. There's going to be a um, famine, and they are sent to Jerusalem with Saul and Barnabas. So our heroes appear uh, in Jerusalem. And then, and then uh, we encounter the next level of persecution. Things have currently been going swimmingly, and now something else. So let's read Acts chapter 12. Has everyone got a Bible? Do you have a Bible? So let's uh, go around the table that way and see how far we get. So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it to please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then, then, then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads, the four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The night before Herod, but Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He poked Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quick, and the chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left. And when Peter was come to fill himself, come to see to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel, and has never been from the command of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John and Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it at the door and explained, Peter is at the door. They said to her, you're crazy, but she kept insisting it was so, but they were saying, it is an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And when day came, there was... 
and no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And when Herod had served his own generation by And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should, that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and there they went. Now Herod was very angry, angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. And they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. Uh, verse, verse 20, uh, 21. 21. Um, our day was set, and Herod in his royal robes sat on the throne and made a speech to them. They shouted, This is the voice of God, not a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. All right. Okay. Any uh, anything there that stands out, or my question will be, who's not mentioned in this entire chapter? Yep. No, Saul's right at the end. So the 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 ending of chapter eleven is they take they head to Jerusalem with their offering that they've collected, uh, and then you don't hear about him again until the end of the chapter when he departs from Jerusalem back to Antioch. It's not really central character here and uh, we could ask perhaps why and, and maybe we will later but the one character who's who's usually running around doing stuff in the book of Acts is not in this chapter and that's the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit makes no appearance does absolutely nothing okay we have angels yes and we have attributions to God God multiplied the church but we have no no account of the Holy Spirit's work even though he's actually a really big character in the rest of the book. So there's, there's a couple of other chapters that, that occur like that, where you have a chapter and no mention of, of the Holy Spirit at all. This is one of them. Rhoda, however, does get memorialized. That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to actually keep the door open. Yeah. Yeah. And their, their response is quite interesting. Oh, it must be his angel. Huh? <laughs> so we can talk about that also again in a minute. Alright, so having a closer look at the text. Right. Um, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, right? Intending to persecute them. And uh, so which Herod is this one? This is Agrippa, yes. So he's actually the grandson of King Herod. He's the son of Aristobulus, which is actually one of the... Herod used to have two sons by Miriam, who was the um, Hasmonean, Hasmonean princess, the last of the Hasmoneans that he married in. And uh, they had, uh, he had put them to death, fearing an assassination plot. 
and um, and then the grandsons were sent to Rome um, for wards to for tutelage. So um, the guy actually comes back, you know, quite well educated, uh, and he ends up being the ruler here uh, only for a couple of years, 41 to 44, very short reign. Okay. But the street named after Yeah. Sure, <laughs> Agrippas. I actually don't know. I don't know who, which Agrippas it's named after. But he, this is the first, so uh, it could be named. Who knows? Okay. But so he has that. He has that honor, uh, perhaps having a street named after him. Okay. So um, uh, why does he he persecute the church? What's his big deal? Maybe. He was currying favor with the Jews. Yeah, yeah it's politically politically expedient. And and you know, sometimes persecutions that's the only reason. You know, people hurt hurt the church. Why? Because particularly the rulers, they couldn't care. But sometimes they do. Depends on which which ruler. But this one, he does it because hey, he's covering covering favor with which Jewish people? No, no, the Jewish people are not a homogenous group, right? They're a mix of uh, of all kinds of of, of, of Jewish people. Because the church is, of course, Jewish. Okay, the the first Gentile mix is in Antioch, not here in Jerusalem. Right. So we've got a, so which Jewish people is he is he currying favor with? Yep, and what's so good about them? Nothing good about them. Nothing good about them? <laughs> they've got lots of money. Yes, they've got lots of cash. Right? And if you want to make some money, if you want, yeah, these are the guys to be in bed with. Right? But he's, he's, um, he's um, using the Jews to keep peace. Otherwise, if, if they're out of control and all hears about it, they'll yeah. be replaced. Yeah, well, he himself is Jewish. No, he is. His mother is Hasmonean. She's Jewish. Oh, that's true. And Herod is Jewish. Because Herod's grandfather was forced converted. He was an Edomite. So the grandfather of King Herod was forced converted by the Maccabeans. So if he's been converted, what is he now? But I, but I think that until the time for the temple, the Jewish line came through the father. Yes, still irrelevant because now he's converted. So now what is he? Correct, and so his son is therefore Jewish, and his grandson, which is now King Herod, is also Jewish, and he marries Hasmonean lady. She's definitely Jewish. So one of the things when the Magi come to uh, talk to Herod and say, "Where's the king of the Jews?" You can imagine his first response. Yeah, <laughs> where is he? Where is he? Here he is. Yeah, right. What do you mean, Jew? I'm Jewish. I've been. Uh, even he might not be a good Jew, right? And uh, but but he is because according to the halacha, once a proselyte, once a person becomes Jewish, can he ever become un-Jewish? No, it's a one-way trip. All right, it's uh, all you can become is a bad Jew, but you can't become a non-Jew. They tried. Some of them did try. Okay, some of them tried to cover up their circumcisions and practice Greek ways and, and take on Greek gods, but at the end of the day, they were Jews. Okay? And so... The problem with some is, how come Herod's got the permission to execute people? Mm. Does that mean that he's not in Jerusalem, but he's, he's um, 
area of authority would be Galilee, and he has authority there for capital punishment? That's a good question. I honestly have no idea how he gets the permission to start killing people. Uh, the, the te- our, our piece of history, our sacred history, doesn't tell us that. Doesn't give us the the, the note down why why he does that. It's quite possible. I think even likely. I don't remember the uh, chronology, but I think Pilate is gone by now. Uh, there yeah. may be a little yeah. bit of a shift in uh, authority here. He's called King Herod, not the Tetrarch, as well. So. Maybe there's a, a difference of uh, change in authority structure. Uh, in my research, I think you're right. I think he was actually given the title king, not Tetrarch. And therefore, he would have the royal authority to actually execute people. And he does it in the Roman style, which is for Roman citizens, which is beheading, uh, which is strange because perhaps, I don't, I don't know if James is a Roman citizen. Anyway, here's James, Yaakov, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That's a very good question. Yes. So we start the, 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 the thing with the first... The, what's so groundbreaking about this death? Well, it's the first of the apostles to be martyred, as far as we can tell. Right. Yeah, well, no, no, sti- so until this point, okay, we've actually gone like 12, 12 chapters um, prior to this, the apostles have seemed to have some sort of unique divine protection. Every time you throw one in prison, they come out. And uh, we've, had, we've scattered, and the church is scattered, except the apostles. You know, there's this sort of, somehow there seemed to be this little bit of protection over them. But whatever it is, it's taken away on James, but not Peter. And so what, what, what are some of these uh, issues for us as an early church? What would we be thinking? What even are we thinking now? Praise God for our brother's faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, he didn't, uh, yeah. yeah he... So even if you do have the Holy Spirit, you're not immortal. Yeah. Right? And, and, uh, and, Many, many a missionary has gone to their death, have they not? Yes, and, and, and many Christians to this day die. Every day. Yes, and, uh, and, but sometimes we are healed, sometimes we are restored, and those are wonderful things. But sometimes we are not. Um, There's an interesting reference in, I think it's Mark's Gospel, where James and John, Interesting. Was that it's James? James was that the stepbrother of Jesus? No, no, no. James and John are the sons of Zebedee. One of the fish. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, like many of the names of the disciples are very common, like very popular, and uh, many of them, as we've mentioned before, are all named after the Maccabees, right? 
and uh, and Yaakov, Jacob, is obviously one of the great patriarchs, so it's always cool to have another one of them in your family. Um, and they, they end up all over the place. But yes, Peter, James, and John, they're like the inner three, yeah? And uh, they're doing, they're always with Jesus, they get to see some of the miracles that nobody else has, they have some of the best discussions with him, and yet one of the first guys to go is, is actually one of those inner three. And uh, so he dies. He was put to death with the sword. Okay, so he was most likely beheaded. Have a guess where? Apart from in Jerusalem. <laughs> Over there, according to the Armenian patriarch. Okay, yes, that's, they mark the spot. And that's the reason why their cathedral and is called the Church of St. James. Okay, and they have a road called St. James, right? And who's also the patron saint of Armenia. It's not bad for some guy who never left Jerusalem. Um, but uh, anyway, that's how he is. And they'll actually swear, black and blue, that they actually have his head um, uh, under the altar. Okay? Yep, they will. And... <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Why we want to preserve that spot? Uh, anyway, they do. Yeah. So who took the church or who took his leadership? Well, so James' brother Jesus was the one who was the leader of the church. Um, so we didn't find out much about him, but. We should be careful in talking about this because there are no titles and explicit recognitions of any hierarchy in the church. All we have is a record of who said what. And in all of the occasions when this happens, at the, they're ended by saying they all agreed. So how they got to the agreement varied and who talked in what order varied, but the agreement was the, the issue of the end, in my opinion. I, I believe very much that the church functioned by consensus and not by hierarchy. And this is the, and this, and this is the way of Christ. And if, Pardon? Well, the Sanhedrin is not uh, a believing body, but but functions the same way. They they work very hard to reach agreement. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes even a temporary workable solution to go on to the next problem. But yeah. was it James who who spoke? Yes, James spoke a lot. He he spoke concerning uh, the circumcision and yes. the strangling and eating of yes. the blood. So but, I but, but well, it says people look carefully though. At the end of that whole, there's a big argument in Acts 15. I mean, we'll get to it in, in here and believe whatever. But at the end of the chapter, it says all the brothers agreed, and I would include the sisters there as well because they'd all come together. It was the entire church was there and talking. They were arguing it out. It's like good Israelis. And in the end, they found a way to go forward together. Not everybody probably would have 100% agreed with what they decided, but you know, this works. This works for me. I can agree to that. That's good. Yeah. It's a, it's okay, Andrew. I happen to disagree on this point. I think they that they that they did form hierarchies. That's my personal opinion. Um, I, I always thought because it was James who who, who set the tone of what they agreed and announced it. No, there's a discussion. It's definitely a consensus discussion. Yeah. He's just the one writing, and, and whether that is, then you say that he's a leader, other documents suggest that he's a leader. Yeah, he's yeah. his, his martyrdom account in 62 
um, suggests that, that he's a he's a pretty high up in the in the rank. Um, the uh, somehow, according to tradition, the rest of his body ends up in Spain. <laughs> um, and it's called Santiago. Santiago, that's right. Get to Santiago, hey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it, and it and it is a it, it has been a famous pilgrimage site for more than a thousand years. Okay, more. Okay, by the time you get to the eight hundreds, people are talking about the journey to Santiago. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. How? How it gets attributed to him? I've got no clue. Not bad if you're dead, is it? It's like, yeah, okay. But no. that in Santiago is the body of the, the brother of Jesus or in No, 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 it's this guy. 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 This and uh, when our friend Herod realizes that this actually pleases the guys that he's trying to curry favor with, namely these rich temple people, um, he proceeds to, to do a bit more. And he takes uh, hold of Peter, uh, who has you know, come to Jerusalem to give a reason for what's going on over there in um, Caesarea. And this is during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, um, So he arrests him. This is the Bible study. Are we welcome? Uh, yeah. Great. I'm Lorraine. Hello. Hello. We are in um, Acts chapter 12. Okay, and we're just going through, uh, where are we up to? Verse 4. So he arrests Peter, puts him into prison. Always a dangerous thing when you put an apostle into prison. Okay. Why? They have a nasty habit of coming out. So what's the, what's the plan this time? Lots of guards have a lot of That's right. Lots and lots of guards. Okay. And what they do is something over and above like normal security. Yeah. Well, they, that's what usually would happen with a high security prisoner. You would usually have a chain to one guard. But what do they do here? either side of him so he's like chained up to two people okay. and uh, and not only that we've got what you have four squads of four so we've got 16 guys around guarding I mean you must you must if you were a Roman soldier guarding this guy what would you be thinking let's just kill him yeah, yeah, that's right yeah or who are we guarding this guy must be like some super terrorist like some quasi ninja be careful he's looking at me you know like, what is he doing um, yeah and, and what's, what's Peter's attitude during all this whole time? He's sleeping. He's sleeping, which tends to imply what? He's not all that anxious. Okay, what's happened to him before when he was in this kind of situation? Yeah. I mean, I get the impression that uh, the authorities gave up imprisoning Peter and the apostles. 
because it was just embarrassing. They're walking out, yeah. So the only solution is we kill them and they had too much respect from the people. Yeah. So it just, just hands off. They just, What's the one difference, though, in apart from the fact that there are chunks and chunks of guards? What's the one difference for this imprisonment this time? We've actually killed an apostle, mm -hmm. so you could be Peter. You might be thinking, "Oh, wow, that special protection we all had is wearing off. Maybe this is it." And if that's also true, still quite relaxed, isn't he? I wonder if you remember what Jesus said to him on the lake, saying, um, when, when Peter points to John and says, um, what about this guy? Yeah. And he says, that's nothing to do with you. Uh, you know, if, if he remains until I come, that's, that's my business. But one day, when you are old, someone will bind you and lead you where you don't want to go. But Jesus says, when you are old. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. So maybe, if, if you remember that little detail, then you can... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not old yet. I'm not old yet. 83 years, but I'm not old yet. It's not time. Right, yeah, it's time. Let's see, three score and ten. Three right? score and ten, yeah. That's right. Okay, so we've got this massive uh, squad of soldiers, of 16 people. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial over the Passover, after the Passover. So Herod um, is respecting the tradition, particularly if he's trying to curry favour from tem temple people. Uh, Peter was kept in prison, but the church, or the ecclesia, the community, was earnestly praying to God for him. Any other translations on the word earnestly? Fervently. Fervently. Intense. Intense. Praying without ceasing. <coughs> okay. Yeah. So, what's going on here? What's the terms of like the sacred history? What's the scenario that's being put forward to us? It's an interesting word in Greek, isn't it? Ektenos. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Okay, it's, it's the very same, neutral. It's the same word. It's a very interesting word to describe. It, Luke has used it before. He uses it to describe Jesus' prayer when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus is correct. He's, he's fervently, earnestly, um, without ceasing, sort of strong, very strong, passionate praying going on here by the church. Same word, same author, same word for Jesus when he's earnestly seeking God, saying, I don't really want to do this. Right? So, it's a very particular style of praying going on. And then what's the scenario? Where's their boss? Or a, one of their leaders? The apostles? He's in prison. And know that it's at night. This time they're, they're wide awake and going at it. Yep. Instead of falling asleep. They're falling asleep. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. Because normally once we get to night time and a bunch of disciples praying, we don't do so well. But, He's sleeping and they So, we know how that works. Prison versus prayer. Right? Which one's more powerful? Come on, guys. Prayer. Yes. Right. And uh, it's a very interesting way that they describe the prayer. Right? Sometimes when we pray for something, 
let's all be honest here how do we pray sometimes we pray pretty much hoping that God's paying hoping uh, having more feeling about this situation than we are right and uh, has please Lord have more enthusiasm for actually the person I'm praying about than me and we wonder why prayer doesn't get answered right you know it's part of this um, you know if, if you have the same desire as me says Jesus I'll answer your prayers right but sometimes we don't we actually have our own desires but we'll still pray and then wonder why nothing happens and over here you have a community and they are earnestly fervently without ceasing at night not not falling asleep they keep praying for their for their dude and why not because as opposed to previous times where he gets put to prison and then comes back out this time we've got the scenario right at the start of the chapter one of them is dead okay it does happen to look like that uh, the protections off whatever was happening before okay all the great successes we had had in the first 11 chapters now we're actually dying okay so the night before Herod was to bring him to trial okay so this is not, now not going to be an instant release okay how long is the feast of unleavened bread yields and he wants to bring him out after Passover so here we are you know heading towards Okay, the, you know, towards the last end of the end of the Passover holiday. This is the, uh, I, call it, I call it divine brinkmanship. Yes. Right at the end. We're playing chicken here. Okay. Yeah. So it reminds me of when the um, Joshua was bringing some people across the River Jordan, and then uh, the priests were carrying out the covenant, and they were walking towards the River Jordan, and when their toes touched water, then mm. right. Yeah. Just right. Not right at the last moment. Yeah. yeah. And once again, right at the last moment, the night before, okay, Herod was going to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping. Okay, so yeah, he's really relaxed about this. This is like your last night on earth type thing. Between, between two soldiers, he's bound with two chains, right? He's really in, in it. And there's guards. He's got 16 of these little guards, probably taking shifts, guarding the entrance. Suddenly... We have the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, appeared. This guy has no name. Okay? Many of these angels now are, are appearing with, without names. Um, and a light shone in the cell. How powerful was that light? Who woke up? Nobody. <laughs> okay. All right. We've got at least three guys in this prison. Okay. And for some reason, the, the description is, and a light shone. Dot, 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 but nobody was paying attention. Okay. Right. No, no guards weren't, okay. Um, Peter's not. So, you know, we, we don't normally get this kind of detail, but you do this time. Poke, poke, poke. All right. Wake up. Get up. And, uh, and, and the chains fall off. Okay. There's a nice mysterious kachink thing going on. And the angel says to him, put your clothes on, okay, and your sandals. Okay, so he's not, not even well dressed at the time. And uh, Peter does. Uh, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So now he's, you know, got himself a little hooded up. And, uh, and, and, but Peter has no idea what the angel would, 
what the angel was doing was really happening because he thinks that he's having a vision which he has had before right so right he's not this is oh i've had one of these before yeah okay whatever i'll see what i'm supposed to learn uh, maybe i'm supposed to learn something about wrapping my cloak maybe there's something theological about that they pass the first and second guards uh, doesn't say whether they're awake or asleep or even how they pass okay? just they just somehow do it and they came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by itself which you reading the Greek there I, I loved it it says auto, automatic, automatos. <laughs> automatic. Auto, the gate opened automatically. Okay. The first automatic door. You know, as you're walking towards the gate, we're just like that. Okay. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that, that's where they, that's, a, that's the Greek word. Yeah. And they went through it, and they walked the length of the street, and then all of a sudden, what does the angel do? Okay. So what? What was the angels? Soul job. Until when? Yeah. But now he's in the middle of the street all by himself. And so the angel, he just, the angel was, was there, get him out of prison, get him to a certain spot, and then time for you to do something, Peter. Okay. And uh, so the angels don't sort of go, and now I'll take you home, and now I'll cook you breakfast, and you, know, you just sit down and do absolutely nothing. Um, no, there was some times where you do need that. That, uh, that high-end spiritual input. But then also, you've got to do something too. And, I, and I, I find that some of that same theology, oddly enough, sitting in the book of Numbers, where uh, it says um, the people didn't have any water, so they asked the Lord, please provide water, and he gave them water. And the very next sentence is, and Israel sang this song. Praise the Lord for the well that the princes dug. So who asked for water? Israelites, please give us water. Who's attributed to getting them water? The Lord. Who dug the well? They did. Right? And so there is a relationship okay, between doing something and having heaven's help participation in the divine plan uh, and so okay uh, now that uh, and so the angel left him just doesn't say how just, he's gone verse uh, 11 then Peter came to himself and and he's like wow this actually really wasn't a vision I'm actually free that's awesome boy those boys are in trouble tomorrow now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people which Jewish people? right because he's about to go to a home full of Jewish people okay so it's isn't an us versus them thing it's a within the family there's a uh, there's some, 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 some trouble they're all Jews here uh, verse 12 when this had dawned on him I don't know how long that took Okay, maybe he was standing there contemplating. Okay, let's let's be let's be real. He is, after all, a man, and sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to to come to conclusions than some other people. Okay, he decides he knows he knows some of the locations around Jerusalem where the believers meet. Why? He's actually probably been in them. 
right? And he knows that, that there's various places, so he notices around, and he goes to, and, and we are told the location, uh, to the house of Mary, very common name, okay? The mother of John, who is also called Mark, Marcus, okay? So he's got two, two names, one a Hebrew name and one a Latin name, uh, where many people had gathered and were praying. Or were, 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 were participating in, in prayers. Now, uh, which John is this one? Hello. It is. You can come in. Yeah, not a problem. Anyone? Any ideas? Mark. Mark the evangelist. Sorry. Yes. Which John? Yes. John Mark. Yeah, John Mark the Evangelist. Also who's Peter's who's, nephew. Yes, that's I correct. We're talking family here. We are. So if someone wants to read Colossians 4.10, we actually get a family connection. Who's got it? So Colossians 4.10. Yeah. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So John Mark's a cousin. Yes, of Barnabas. No relation to Peter. Oh, he was uh, is apparently it? writing at Peter at the inspiration of Peter. I've gotten confused. I think the I thought I was thinking that John Mark was Peter's. Is he not related to Peter somewhere? Uh, he's no. He's the 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 Mary is the aunt of Barnabas. Ah, okay. okay that's, that's the connection. Okay, so Barnabas, remember Barnabas from Jerusalem. Well, he's from Cyprus, but he's been, but he's living here, and uh, and this is his aunt, um, and so if they're actually from the same lineage, she's Levite, she's Levitical, and uh, therefore, so it would be John Mark. Okay, um, so which John Mark is this one? This is the evangelist. This is the, according to tradition, the guy who writes the Gospel of Mark, although. Honestly, no one has a clue because it's not. That's just a tradition. There's no physical uh, reference that says that that uh, he physically did it. It is attributed to John Mark by the early church fathers. This is true. So they may be actually recording the tradition, and and you're right that somehow he becomes, in some way, the writer for Peter. Okay, so. How, how does that work? We don't know. Because Peter actually disappears after this, this chapter. This is Peter's last swan song. Right? He, he, once it says, once we get to that verse that says that he went to another place, we don't see him again. He shows up very briefly in Acts 15 to make a little chat, but then that's it. Yes, he will write some epistles. Yes, he may have even done the verbal quotation for the, what we today call the Gospel of Mark. Uh, yes, he also has a couple of discussions in, uh, with Paul in Corinthians and Galatians. But in terms of knowing what he does after this, we have no clue. He's just going to disappear from, from history. Okay. Although, remember, um, there is an Acts of Peter written by the, one of the disciples of John, uh, Lucius another Luke, uh, and that's where we get the information that Peter is executed upside down. Okay? 
um, in that text. Although why is it not in our Bible, I hear you ask. Uh, when we did discuss this, it's because the only documents we have of the Acts of Peter show very, very heavy uh, redaction, editing. People have inserted material, so it's very hard to find out which bits the original, so therefore it couldn't be considered holy text, so it's not. However, we all still agree that Peter was killed upside down. All right. So they're in, uh, it goes to um, Barnabas's cousin's place. So who actually might be there? Could be Saul and Barnabas, okay? doesn't say that they are. Remember, they've come to Jerusalem with the offering. And they've been no part of the story. King Herod has captured Peter. He hasn't captured Saul or Barnabas. Why not? Well, well for the last year, they've been hanging out in Antioch. Right? They're, they're really mainly with um, Hellenists. Okay, um, so they're not they're not big players here in Jerusalem, not yet. So Peter knocks on the outer entrance of this this uh, place. So what does that tend to imply? Sorry. Well, yes, but also yeah, two doors, a big house. Okay, ergo could be also got a servant. Okay, so this actually could be wealthy. So also note, this is actually Mary's place, right? Um, not attributed or in the possession of a male figure. Um, and so what has she not done in, since Acts chapter 2? She hasn't sold it. Remember that, you know, this sort of idea that we all want to be like the early church and all sell all our homes and give it to the apostles and they'll attribute it to the poor? That's what the text says, but they don't all sell every house. And that is not true. Otherwise, what would have happened to the early church? They wouldn't have any houses. Right, there'd be no meeting places. And so this sort of idea that they just immediately became believers, full of the Spirit, and then sold everything is, is not historically accurate. What they did do is if they had two or three houses, they did sell one or two of them, and they did then distribute it to, to the poor. The wealthy took care of those that needed it. Okay, That's not socialism. That's just doing what God wants you to do. There's a big difference. So here we have a servant girl, Rhoda. Lovely girl, appearing, nice name. And does some very interesting things. Answers the door, and then she recognized that it was Peter's voice. Woohoo! Okay, she's really overjoyed. Okay, uh, she runs back without even opening it. Okay, she's so enthusiastic. I mean, what have they actually been praying for? Yes, and it's officially happened. This is awesome. God has answered prayer. Fantastic. Next response, lose your marbles. Okay? And then she comes back. Peter's at the door. And what's their response? You're mad. What have they all been praying for? And what yes. So what don't we believe just happened? Isn't that interesting? Okay? Please, Lord, we're fervently praying. Peter's at the door. Look. This, who are you mad? Please, Lord, please, he'll save Peter. He's at the door. Look, we're praying for, to the Lord. Can you please be quiet? Right? Yeah, I get back to get back to prayer. All right, God's actually done it. All right. Now, and their first rea their reaction is, oh no, you're crazy. Oh look, you're out of your mind. It's his angel. Now, why would they say such a thing? 
What was their belief in angels back then? They did, they That's still do. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. They had a tr tradition that everyone has an angel. And uh, many, many midrashim, or little, little stories, little anecdotes that are attached to uh, interpretations of the Torah, will say things like, when God came down on Mount Sinai, he came with him 600,000 angels. Why 600,000 angels? That's the number of people in the That's correct. So everybody get, got their angel. That's where the sort of idea. Now, there was also then a tradition that uh, this angel, what did it look like? Peter. Yes, it looked like you. The angels began to take to, to, be, to mold and shape themselves to look like you. And so there was this also tradition that when uh, you died, your guardian angel would sometimes go and tell loved ones. Has anybody ever heard of stories where people would be at home and suddenly a loved one came, spoke to them, and then they got a phone call saying that their loved one had died in a car accident? I have. Yes. That, that story is all over the world. And isn't that interesting? You know my mother. My mother. And that story is there, that sometimes we get visited by our loved ones, which may actually be the, 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 their, their special defender, and to give comfort or, or a last parting word or something like that. And that story is all over the world. And here you find it in the text. That what's their reaction? It's not Peter, it's which would imply that yes. Okay, it is like, yes, yeah, so we're praying really hard. Oh, dang it, he died. Okay, and he's, he's, he can't possibly be at the door because what's happened to the, one of the heroes already? He's got his head. So they are fervently praying, and then when the actual miracle happens, they still can't quite. But it's interesting that the, 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 the historical narrative that we have doesn't gloss over any of these little mistakes. It just says it and, it puts it, and it's actually all in, in historical context too. It really is uh, very showing us little uh, ways that Jewish people thought and acted and behaved and believed uh, at the time. So, uh, so, so Peter keeps on knocking, okay? He's not giving up because of course he's not. He's on the outside, it's dark. And, uh, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they are amazed. They're astonished. Wow. Prayer worked. We kind of thought you were dead. Peter motioned for them all to, with his hand to be quiet. So they're probably making lots of noise by this stage. And then he will explain how he got there. So he describes how the Lord brought him out of prison. Okay, isn't that great? The, the, uh, the Lord gets the glory for the work of the angel of the Lord, which we all do in our current words, the way we speak. The Lord did this, the Lord did that, even though it might have been uh, one of the messengers or even one of us assisting in some way. So, what does James want, us to, want them to do? Go tell James. Why? We have the impression he's the Correct, that he's probably become a central figure by this stage. It's the first time that you get the hint. Didn't say who it was in Acts 11 when they're all talking. Definitely will say it in uh, Acts 15 and in Galatians. 
right? When it will talk about the uh, the circumcision party, men from James. Okay. So Peter's response: Go tell, go James. tell James. Right. That's why I always assumed he was the leader. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a debate. Okay. And so, so go tell James, and he says, and then he lefts for, leaves for another place. Doesn't say where, doesn't say what he's going to do, and we will not hear about him much again. This is it. He's not, not actually the friend. So, I think, let's give them a break. They were, let's say they were operating the road system. Let's say they've been going on at least seven days. Yep. So they were praying in cycles. So, it's okay that, you know, maybe I wasn't there on that occasion. We'll give them a break. Yep. Other people watch. Mm. Yep. They might be hiding too, because you know they knew that Herod was after them all, and mm. might all gathered in the same place at the same time. Well, they there's there's a lot of them. Remember, there's thousands of them yeah. by this stage. Yeah. And um, and so let's just go that if James is the central figure, and has been the central figure since perhaps. Peter left Jerusalem. Okay. Um, then how's how uh, how's the church been going so far? It's full of the Spirit, yes, but it's still challenged by the fact that we've got these Gentiles here. Okay. And um, and so uh, Peter's first response is, "Okay, I'm out. Go tell James." Right? Maybe this is. Uh, an important character um, uh, in, a, in, a, in, 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 the, in the early church. One of the people, according to tradition, that they're also taken care of is Mary. Now, remember Mary, the actual mother of Jesus, not this Mary, the aunt of Barnabas, but um, Mary, all her life, she is obviously, no one, no one believed that uh, she was impregnated by uh, the Holy Spirit. And so what has she suffered all of her life? Ridicule, including from James. And, and right, none of them, that's why Jesus, when he's on the cross, says none of the brothers are going to help you because they don't believe, right? So you need uh, John to take care of you. And uh, so after Jesus' resurrection, what's the, who's the first person he goes and sees? James, right? It's a, in the, in the, on, the, on the resurrection scenes, apart from meeting Mary at the garden, but he deliberately goes in and he talks to James. And you can imagine that conversation, can't you? It's like, um, hey, how you doing? You haven't been very nice to mum. And, uh, yep. And so immediately the church took care of her for the rest of her life after that. And the church is over there. Uh, it's underneath the um, upper room. What's actually underneath the upper room? The upper room is a crusader structure. Okay, it's got nothing to do with anything. It's uh, and the tomb of David that's there has nothing to do with David either. It's the tomb of a 12th century crusader knight. And it's all, it's great to have some Orthodox guarding him, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, but underneath that is a Byzantine church to Mary. And it was the traditional site where, the, where the, the Orthodox believed that that's where the disciples kept guard and, and kept Mary until she died. Hence the reason why the Catholics have built the Domitian Abbey up there. Okay, that's why they believe that Mary went dormant. Okay, so that's all sitting up there. So where, where might James be? 
happy with mum. Okay. Yeah, taking, making sure that he's taking good care of her. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yes, of course. We've always got lots of different places. So there's another tradition, and it's, and it's, and it's heavily favoured by um, the Catholic Church, and therefore by Protestants, because we come out of the Catholic Church. However, the other side of the church, the eastern side, doesn't think that. The eastern side uh, says that she's over there. Was that Ephesus? Ephesus, yes. Yeah, there's a tomb there. Yep. So those are, those are some of your options. Um, uh, where I sit, I tend to go with the, uh, even though I'm Protestant, I tend to go with the Orthodox. I think they're closer to the source. Okay. Um, and all of the sites that are so named are holding on to some sort of hint that Mary was here. Right? The names, the, the churches, that they, the stories that, and fables that, that occur, including her burial site at the base of the Mount of Olives. Okay? Anyway, that doesn't matter anything. It's just, but, but perhaps James is in another location, hanging out with, um, with uh, Mother Mary. Okay? Um, in the morning, there was no small commotion, of course there was, among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Could you imagine waking up okay, and going, oh, dang, he did it again. We were right here. Okay, and uh, Herod gives a thorough search for him, doesn't find him, and we have no idea where he's gone. Cross-examines the guards and then kills them, which, by the way, is stock standard policy. So they kind of even knew they had it coming. Right? And uh, which is interesting, isn't it? So when God rescued Peter, what did he know was going to happen? He knew that 16 people were going to die. That was going to be the result, wasn't it? Okay. Interesting thing to ponder. 18. Oh, two and six there. Okay. Whoa, okay, got 18 people losing their life. Okay. Uh, over this event. All right. Herod's death. Okay. So now we're going to take care of this guy. Uh, then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there a while. Okay. Doesn't say why he, he goes there, although there is a large palace and a large harbor and his grand, grandfather built it. He's probably been there many times before. Um, but notice that he in that verse, that's Herod, not Peter. It says, then he went down from Judea to Caesarea. Yes, this is Herod. Herod. Yes. Uh, he, had been, he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, Sidon, and they had joined together and brought an audience uh, with him. And uh, having secured, and I love this guy's name, Blastus. Okay, it's <laughs> an awesome name. Okay. and uh, the, the personal servant of Herod. And uh, Tyre and Sidon um, had, a, ha, while they were having an argument with him, the uh, Herod has the upper hand because he actually supplies them with food. And that was actually uh, one of the strengths and jewels in the uh, empire, <coughs> is Mediterranean wheat. Okay, Egypt had it. And so did Israel. Israel had a uh, very good growing season for wheat, which the Europeans did not. And uh, you want to feed your empire on bread. And so one of the reasons why King Herod, 
the great, the big builder, built Caesarea in the first place was because he could get his wheat to Europe two weeks before the Egyptians. Right? So he had a just his growing season, just beat them. And then he built a harbor so he could quickly get the, the wheat out. And uh, so he was making a fortune. Because if you were the first guy to get the wheat in the market, the price was right the top, top price. Time is money. Time is money. And, and Europe couldn't get enough. But he also fed a lot of people around him. And so he actually had these guys by the, uh, the shorts and curlies. And, um, and on, on the appointed day, whatever that day is, apparently it was a feast day, we're going to read another uh, version of the story in a minute. Uh, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address. And they shouted, Ooh, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Again, again could have been the same guy, don't know, could have been a different one sure and he was eaten by worms and he died okay so this this story is also uh, recorded in Josephus oddly enough so Josephus Flavius who uh, wrote uh, several works this one is from Antiquities chapter 19 says, uh, now when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to this, remember he only lives, reigns from 41 to 44, so it's his three years. He came to the city of Caesarea, which was formerly called Strato's Tower, and there he exhibited spectacles in honor of Caesar. That's what the um, appointed day is. Okay, Our sacred history doesn't say it was a special day to honor Caesar, it just says the appointed day. Okay. Fleshed out by uh, another work closer uh, at the time. This is in honor of Caesar, for whose well-being he had been informed that a certain festival was being celebrated. At this festival, a great number were gathered together of the principal persons of dignity in this province. On the second day of the spectacles, he put on a garment made wholly of silver, of a truly wonderful texture, and he came into the theater early in the morning. Okay. So this just says royal robes okay so here we have a bit more detail there the silver in his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays shone out in a wonderful manner right he's like a strobe lighting okay um, and was so resplendent as to spread awe over all that looked intently upon him presently his flatterers <coughs> cried out one from one place and another from another, although not for his good, that he was a god. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own, uh, own thee as superior to mortal nature. Upon this the king neither rebuked them nor rejected their impious flattery. But he shortly afterward looked up and saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings, just as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him, and he fell into deepest sorrow. 
Of severe pain arose in his belly, striking with the most violent intensity. He therefore looked upon his friends and said, I, whom you call a God, am commanded presently to depart this life. While providence thus reproves the lying words you have now said to me, that I, who was by you called immortal, and immediately to be hurried away to death. But I am bound to accept what providence allots as it pleases God, for we have by no means lived ill, but in splendid and happy nature. And when he said this, his pain became violent. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace, and the rumor went abroad everywhere that he would certainly die soon. The multitude sat in sackcloth, men, women, and children, after the law of their country, and besought God for their king's recovery. So who else is going to pray? All places were also full of mourning and lamentation. Now the king rested in a high chamber, and he saw them below lying prostrate on the ground, and he could not keep himself from weeping. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life, being 54 years of age and the seventh year of his reign. He ruled four years under Caius Caesar, three of whom were over Philip's tetrarchy only, and on the fourth that of Herod was added to it, and he and he reigned, besides those three years under Claudius, during which time he, he had Judea added to his lands, as well as Samaria and Caesarea. The revenues that he received out of them was very great, no less than 12 million drachma. But he borrowed great sums from others, for he was so very liberal with his expenses that it exceeded his incomes, and his generosity was boundless. So that's the little historical bit of, of Herod. But it adds a little bit more detail than what we've got. So it, uh, his royal robes in our acts, he has a garment of silver okay, that shines and spins light everywhere. Everybody, it says he gives a public address and they say this is the voice of a god. These guys say he just looks like a god and we've all treated like a man. Very sorry for that. We're now going to treat you like a god. He doesn't stop them. Here it's attributed to the angel of the Lord comes and strikes him down. It seems that He's eaten by worms and dies instantly, but in the text that uh, Josephus says, it took five days. Yeah. It sounds like he was repentant. Right, because remember, who is he? What nationality is he? He's Jewish. So what God does he believe in? God of Israel. And he knows exactly that you can't do idol worship. So, so he, he, he knew the sin that he had done. Seems, it sounds like he made peace with it. Yep, yeah. that's, that's the way Josephus records it. Mm. Okay, our, our text, Acts, does not. It doesn't want to say he may, might have repented. Why not? <laughs> well, we've knocked off James. We're not going to give this guy any mercy, okay? <laughs> okay. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. So what is that, that one little line? What is that? That's a very powerful line. To hear, what does that say? The word of God is not bound. Yes, it's certainly not bound by kings, is it? Okay, doesn't matter who comes against this thing. We've had, we've had a king do it, and a king looked like he was succeeding there for a second, didn't he? Kill a few, lock a few up in prison. It's not doing well. But the end of the story is, you can't defeat God. You cannot fight the divine. And um, that's a very powerful thing to say. The word of God continued to spread and increase. Yeah, but that implies that there was that in growing before. My translation says, when I'm growing, I'm being multiplied. 
implying that they've been growing. Before. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> continued to increase. Continued, yeah, just sort of yeah, sorry, continued to increase. Like it hasn't. Yeah. Continues to increase. Doesn't matter how much you try and stop it. And so, hearing a verse like that, um, uh, does that, what sort of feelings does that bring up in you guys? It's always good to be on the winning side, isn't it? Even though sometimes it doesn't look like you're winning, especially if you were James or perhaps Peter after spending seven nights in prison knowing that the next one time you see the light of day you're in public trial that might be your last view mm. of the world right? um, but yeah but here we sit in a room in Jerusalem you know, most of us reasonably happy and healthy and you know, and uh, with some nice stories of you know growing up safe and sound but other parts of the body that story is not true and yet the word of God continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger which is also which is great okay and then finally we end up with this last verse uh, two verses no one verse our heroes who went to Jerusalem to deliver money now actually finally come into the picture we haven't heard from them boo they they're definitely even though we're at uh, his aunt's place if Barnabas is there, it's not mentioned that he is. If Saul is there, it's not mentioned that he is. They have no role in Jerusalem other than when they finished their mission. And what was their mission? Yeah, yeah, yeah bring money, uh, distribute it. That's probably what they were doing. Okay, they returned to Jerusalem. Turned, they returned from Jerusalem. So where did they end up going to? Back to Antioch. Okay, uh, back to. No, it says some manuscripts say return to Jerusalem, which seems to fit in better, but they haven't even been to Jerusalem. This is going on. And they've come to Jerusalem. Okay. Pretty. Completely the error, wasn't it? Yeah, Acts, Acts 11 says that they're on their way to Jerusalem. Yeah. So as opposed to. Um, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, that those manuscripts have got some scribal errors, probably. And that happens, guys, that happens in. in in, uh, in literary archaeology. Uh, I know that sounds bizarre when it comes to holding on to the Word of God that they might have scribal errors, uh, but they do! <laughs> and that includes in Hebrew too, by the way. Yeah. Okay. It's always fun um, to pick up some manuscripts and, uh, and see bits that have been added in. And uh, one of my favorites is um, uh, it talks about the grandsons of, of uh, of Moshe, uh, of Moses, and what 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 happens to the genealogy of Moses? What do they end up doing? Anyone know? Okay, it says in the book of Judges that they set up an idol in in the tribe of Dan, and they become false priests. Okay, and so the manuscripts now have a nun in there, but it looks like this. Nope, not going to do it. Okay, uh, everyone knows. What Hebrew looks like, okay, mem, okay, shin, okay, hey, then there's a, in between the mem and the shin, there's a nun up here to say menashe, manasseh, right? And you know, somebody just come along and gone, ah, fixed, <laughs> okay, that's, 
and uh, so and they're still there. And when you when you when you uh, write out a new Torah, you put it in. Yeah, so it's a thing that people do. Okay. Um, so now we actually Peter disappears from history. Paul and and Saul now take over the the main part of the narrative. Okay, and yet out of all of this event, we did not hear from the Holy Spirit. He hadn't done done anything. Do you have any any ideas why that would be? Part of the circumcision is taking over. Yeah, could be. Remember, they they were they've been quiet. Um, they they did their arguments in Acts 11, but they are soundly defeated because they can't go against the miracle. So they're quiet. And now Peter disappears. Probably leaves Jerusalem. Saul disappears. These are the guys who had seen all this stuff. And so now the circumcision party begins to rear its, its head again. And we will encounter them in the next couple of chapters. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.